0: If you have a connection to languages, this is the podcast for you, whether you're a language learner, a language teacher, a language researcher, or anyone who's interested in languages. I'm Dr. Marie-Josée Bisson, and alongside Dr. Caitlin Zavaletta, we are the language scientists, and this is our podcast. We are senior lecturers in psychology at De Montfort University, and we conduct research in the area of language learning. Throughout this series, we hope to translate the science behind language learning into informative and useful practical advice. So sit back and enjoy. Today, we're joined by Dr. Angelos Lengeris from University of Athens, and he's here to talk to us about phonological abilities. So welcome, Angelos.
1: Hi, thank you very much for having me.
0: It's a pleasure. Now, um, Angelus completed his undergraduate degree in the Greek literature and classics at the University of Athens and then uh, a master's and PhD in phonetics at University College London. And um, before we jumped into the topics of phonetics and phonology, can you tell us a little bit about your language background?
1: Yes. Um, so I'm, I'm Greek. Um, I can speak uh, English and German. And I know ancient Greek and Latin from my undergraduate years, as you said before. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's uh, it, quite a few languages already. We, we didn't expect any more than that. That's okay.
1: <laughs> no, it's always this uh, um, you know uh, discussion about if you say you're a linguist, how many languages do you speak? Uh, Uh And they expect from you to to know like 10 or 12 or something like that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I had no expectations. I obviously knew that you spoke Greek and English, but I didn't know you spoke German. So there you go. Um, And then all the ancient languages as well. So how did you become a language researcher? Because you went from studying literature and classics to uh, jumping into phonetics.
1: Yes. um, Well, I was always into languages. And um, I studied Greek philology at the University of Athens. So there are three specializations, uh, classics, linguistics, and modern Greek. And you have to choose at the end of your first year what you're going to be doing. So I chose classics, uh, which means I didn't take that many linguistic courses, uh, but the ones that I took, I really enjoyed. So, you know, I was fascinated by um, phonetics. And, you know, for someone who spent a couple of years examining ancient texts, and uh, memorizing information, to start doing phonetics and start recording and analyzing speech and doing graphs and tables and stats. Uh, you, you know, it felt so refreshing and new and modern. So I I switched to phonetics. I, I you know I went to UCL and did the uh, uh, NMA in phonetics and then continued uh, in that field.
0: Yes, and that's, that's how you came into my radar, in fact, because I needed some help with one of my research projects. Uh, I was interested in phonological abilities and then I saw your name on one of the research papers and I got in touch and we got together and worked on this uh, really interesting project. So, should we talk about phonological abilities then? So, how, what are they?
1: Um, yes, um, there are many phonological abilities. And there are different definitions and categorizations. I don't think we have the time to go into detail now. Um, You know, we've got phonological awareness, phonological memory, and so on. What I'm working on, I think you will be interested in, is um, the perception and pronunciation uh, in a second language or a foreign language. So how good we are in perceiving speech, vowels, consonants, intonation, and so on, and how good we are in pronouncing speech. Uh, So who is better... (laughs) and why someone is better in perceiving and pronouncing speech and also how we can use computers to improve our perception and pronunciation.
0: So why is that particularly problematic for people when they come to learn another language?
1: Well it all has to do, I mean there are so many different factors, but the most important one is the relationship your native language and the other language. So there aren't, in principle, there aren't, uh, you know, difficult sounds. Okay, there could be a few, like, articulatory difficult sounds to pronounce. Like, for example, in Greek we have the r sound. Uh, Same in Spanish and other languages. So this could be a bit problematic for uh, speakers who don't have this um, sound in their native language. But generally speaking, all the sounds are, you know, relatively easy if you do have these sounds in your native language. So the problem is when you have a contrast which you don't have in your native language. So, for example, in Greek and in Spanish and Italian and so on, we only have a single E sound. So there's no distinction between E and E. So for me, a contrast like in F-double-E-L and F-I-double-L, so feel and fell, so I would pronounce it. So if if I'm to use my Greek accent, it would be something like feel. So now I'm using my Greek E, and you don't know which one is it. So it's the an in-between, isn't it? Exactly. It's something in-between. It's the same with sin and shu, if you don't have it in your native language. It's the same with uh, ru and lo, for Japanese learners of English, for example. So the problem is when you when there are two sounds uh, in the second language, and you only have one in your native language. And obviously, you, you, know, you can become better after spending a couple of years um, learning the language and so on. So there are other factors we can talk about, but yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the main problem. Uh, yes. It's always you know, other things like motivation and your willingness to learn and so on. But the, the, you know, one of the first things that we look at is this relationship between L1 and L2. L1 stands for native language and L2 for second language.
0: So it's kind of a problem at the physical and psychological level as well. So you can literally not hear some of the differences between some letters um, when it's not your native language. And exactly. also, if you can't hear them, then you can't pronounce them accurately either.
1: Exactly. So when I first moved in the UK, in London, I, I, I couldn't hear the difference between these two you know, E sounds or these, you know, you know the, the difference between cat and cut. So C-A-T, C-U-T. It was the same for me. But after a couple of weeks or months, I started picking up those differences, and then obviously by studying phonetics that helps a lot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: what can people do then? Because I think your research shows that these well I don't think I know that your research shows that these phonological abilities can be trained.
1: Yeah, uh, more generally, uh, what myself and many other people have done, and we know that for a long thirty years now, so we do know that people can improve. Uh, their perception by applying uh, ex- extensive training uh, protocols. So, the, and computers can help us in can help us in that direction. So, we know that after doing a couple of sessions, you can improve your perception. So, you can start listening to those tiny. Well, they're not tiny, but for for, for a foreign learner, these are tiny differences, and you can improve your perception. And the. The fascinating thing is that you can also improve your pronunciation. So as you said before, you first need to be able to tell the difference between two sounds and then you can start pronouncing those differences. So basically what we do is that we we play sounds, we play words to trainees. So for example, it could be something like Phil, so feel, so F-W-E-L. And then there are a couple of options on the screen, so the trainee has to pick which one is it. So we've got... Uh, feel, we've got, sorry, feel, we've got fill, fell, and so on. So the trainee listens to this word, to a word, and then he or she has to pick which one is it. And then the computer will tell him or her whether it was right or wrong. And uh, as I said before, we, so we, we have uh, feedback, so you know what you did well or when you did well. And you can also listen to the same word again. But um, as I said before, the important bit is variability. So we do need variability in words. And we also need variability in uh, speakers. So we have multiple native speakers of the target language uh, saying all these multiple words. So in a way, you know, we, we try to simulate what would happen in, uh, in real life. But this is more focused. Because you can imagine if you listen to, you know, the stream of speech, you, you hear so many vowels and consonant, it's very difficult to focus on a single uh, vowel or consonant. But by playing isolated words, then you can focus on this vowel, that vowel, or this consonant, or that consonant.
0: And how much better do people get by doing this training?
1: Typically, we do from, let's say, five to ten sessions in a, a week or two weeks, that lasts about half an hour. So it's not that long if you think about it. It's like two or three or four hours of training. And we have found that people improve um, about 20 percentage points um, after training, which may sound not that large, but it is. So basically, you know, if you go from 60% correct to the target vowels or consonants, and you go to eight percent correct, then you can imagine this is a big difference. And this is only after a couple of sessions. So, you know, I suspect that if we were to give more training to our trainees, they they would improve a bit more. Uh, we, we usually don't do that because we don't have the time. And it's not that practical to have to, because the way we do it, we do a pre-test. So we test them before they do the training. And then they do five or six or seven training sessions. And we we get them back to the lab and then they do another test. So this is... Seven in total, let's say. So it's not that easy to get so many people doing all these sessions. Although I have to say now with, you know, with uh, smartphones and um, um, iPads and tablets and so on, we can they can do that at home.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. How, how easily accessible this sort of training is?
1: It's really easy in the sense that if you do have the program, if you have recorded the, the words, you can do it at home. But I also have to admit that you know, this high-variability approach has not been adopted by learners and teachers alike. I mean, obviously, teachers do that for, for, for years now. It's not like a rocket science. Uh, it's like playing play minimal purse to people, and then they try to listen and they try to pronounce things. But the, the, the different thing is that you, uh, you have these you know, multiple words and some um, variable environments and so on. So it's very um, focused. And it's also, you can imagine, it's very helpful in um, foreign language settings. So, for example, when you learn English here in Greece, or, or you learn English in, in Italy. In those cases, even the teachers are not native speakers, in most cases. So you do, you do not have um, input from native speakers, which is very important. Because, as you can imagine, if you, if you do listen to someone, like a Greek teacher saying, Phil, Phil, there is no way of you, how could you learn the difference between feel and fail? So.
0: Absolutely. So it sounds to me like this sort of resources would be really, really beneficial uh, if it was implemented um, properly. And mm-hmm. from what you're saying, I think there are lots of apps on the market, but what you're saying is they're not evidence-based and they're not based on research findings. So they probably don't have this, the amount of variability that's required for people to really improve.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I'm sure your audience knows that there are so many hundreds or even thousands of apps, like you may have heard about accent reduction uh, programs and so on. So these are very fancy and colorful and uh, they look nice. But most of them, if not all of them, I would say they are not research based. So we don't know whether they work or not. And most of them are very expensive too. So,
0: Well, yeah, that's another problem, isn't it? So there might be a, an interesting research project to, to be done there, compare some of these uh, fancy apps and actually conduct the research and see if they do work. Um, or we could actually m- make something up based on research finding and try to put it out there open access for people but then as you say it's uh, the problem with that is there's just um, you need to prepare a lot of material and it's uh, obviously language specific so you need lots of native speakers of all these languages um, yeah and then lots of recordings of the same words because when we when we speak, uh, well, you can you probably you know more about this, this than me, but when we say even the same speaker saying the same words uh, on multiple occasions, it will sound slightly different each time. Mm-hmm. And this is this is what we're talking but that's, about. That's a in, good thing. That's, yeah. that's
1: that, This is what we want but because there is yes. this variability in real speech.
0: And so in order to train ourselves, we need to be able to hear lots of different tokens or lots of different examples of these words pronounced slightly differently by multiple people, sometimes by the same people, so that we can train our ear to, to really find those uh, those differences
1: exactly but having said that i mean there are so many platforms online platforms that you can use now so you can record speech and you can play speech so as long as you can find native speakers to pronounce those difficult for your target group uh, sounds it should be it's, it's not that difficult uh to do
0: So, we talked a little bit earlier, as you say, about, well, we talked about training people's perception. Can you tell us a little bit more about how the training works for pronunciation?
1: Mm -hmm. That's the beauty of it. You don't have to train pronunciation at all. So, there are a couple of studies that try to train pronunciation. So, you know, put your tongue here, do that, or round your lips, and so on. But what, what we know is that when people improve their perception... And all this high variability approach that I talked to you about is all about perception. So they, they listen to sounds and they click uh, buttons and, and, that, and that's it. So this is uh, perception training. And the good thing about it is that this improvement transfers to pronunciation without being given any explicit pronunciation training. So people get better just by being able to perceive those differences. So, basically, in the pretest that I mentioned before, yeah. we not only test people's perception before the training, but we also record them. So, they they pronounce a couple of words or sentences, and, uh, and then they, they do the training, and then record the same people on the same words, or, you know, slightly different words, and then we have, we can perform a, a phonetic and acoustic analysis to see the acoustic characteristics of those sounds, or we can have native speakers of English, or... Any other language, target language, to um, assess those productions, and so we can, uh, you know, calculate the difference between pre-training and post-training.
0: Yeah. So you've been able to measure um, how much better they become at pronunciation exactly. just by training their their ability to discriminate fine-tuned sounds. And mm-hmm. um, we talked a little bit earlier as well about how people vary in terms of their how good they are at this uh, this phonological. Ability thing? Could you expand on that?
1: Yes, we do find individual variation, and obviously, you know, when you when you run an experiment, you try to control of all the things. So they they should have, or they they do have, they are at the same level. But then again, pronunciation is a bit tricky because you could have like C one or C two students uh, who their you know their grammar and um, syntax and so on vocabulary is really good. That, but their pronunciation is not that, that good. So it's a bit difficult, but still. Uh, so we try to control for everything, but we can st- we still find, I'd say, huge individual differences between people.
0: So when we talk about some people having an ear for language, are we talking about phonological abilities?
1: Yes, it, 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 it's a very difficult question, as you can imagine. There have been studies that try to relate this ability to different types of measures. There are so many different types of measures that have been tried. One of the things that I I tried a couple of years ago, and this is uh, the task that we used in in your project as well, is to have people listen to something like a tone uh, that changed in frequency. So this wasn't a speech sound. This was just a sound, a tone. And we measured, we, we tried to see whether some people are better in this tone than others, And there were, obviously, there were differences between people, and then we tried to correlate your ability to listen to those tiny differences in hertz, uh, in frequency, between those tones, to your ability to perceive vowels and consonants, speech, basically. And we we did find a correlation in that. So yeah, um, there are other things that have been tried, things like musical ability, uh, so if people, you know, people who are good in music or they 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 have uh, studied music are also better in perception and pronunciation. There are some um, conflicting results, but yeah, this seems to be one of the things that could play a role. So how good uh, your ear is, and obviously we have we have tried to uh, do other um, hearing tasks. So these people, generally speaking, you know, their their hearing uh, is fine, but when you make a very very difficult task so we are talking about five to ten or fifteen hertz difference between those tones and those people who are really good in this task were also found to be good in uh, perceiving speech
0: yeah and we saw in our in the project that we did together angelos that it also predicted their ability to learn words in foreign in a foreign language yeah, and the task, as you say, was really quite um demanding, very demanding. The differences were so subtle between the two uh, the two beeps uh, that mm-hmm. we used. It sounded like beeps um, on mm-hmm. on on that they, that people indeed had to say whether they were the same or different. But even when they were different, the differences were so small that it was a very difficult task. and uh, we saw that there was a huge range of individual differences. So some people were better than others at perceiving those small differences. And also we saw that how good they were at perceiving small differences predicted their ability to learn um, words in a new foreign language that they'd not been exposed to before. So it seems like phonological phonological abilities are really important. Uh, I mean, they're really important to be able to pronounce words accurately in a foreign language, but also to help you learn uh, words in a foreign language too. So Angelos what do you want our listeners to remember from from today's episode on phonological abilities
1: I do have a very positive and encouraging message for for all learners out there so you know there is this idea that there is a a window of opportunity so when you pass this window when you hit puberty it's very difficult to improve your perception and pronunciation and we we do know that obviously when you when you are older it's it becomes a bit more difficult but we do have so many studies that I talked about uh, that show that even adults, and I, I didn't mention that, I think, so all these studies that are um, are done with adults, okay, so they, they do show that this, let's say, window of opportunity is not closed, it's not lost, and uh, our brain can support learning even in adulthood, and we can improve relatively easily, provided that we do have we do use, you know, uh, uh, an appropriate training method.
0: So it's not too late for us adults to learn another language. We can get good at it.
1: Oh, yeah, of course, of course. At least as far as the phonetics uh, perception and pronunciation is concerned. (laughs) All
0: right. Thank you for joining us today, Angelos, and for telling us about phonological abilities.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
0: In the next podcast, we will be talking about randomized control trials with Professor Matthew Inglis. I just want to remind you to take five minutes to go into our show notes and click on the link for our survey. The survey will tell us what you liked about this series and what you would like to hear about next. Thank you for listening and thank you to the British Academy for funding our podcast. I'm Dr Marie-Josée Bisson and you've been listening to the Language Scientist podcast.